Amen. Great job. Great song. Great thought. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I hope you love the Lord Jesus tonight. I hope you understand loving Jesus is different than believing Jesus. Now, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Loving Jesus is a choice that some believers make and, and others do not. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I'm excited about our summer Wednesdays here. I mean, you know, the last few weeks are, we've been letting our young men take turns preach and teach. Next Wednesday, uh, Lord willing, we'll begin um, having the ladies and men taught separately. There are eight things in the book of Titus where uh, it very specifically says for the older women to teach the younger women these things. And uh, we'll all meet in here and uh, just sing a couple of songs and have prayer together, and then we'll dismiss the ladies over to uh, the old auditorium, and they'll be taught there for a few weeks by uh, each week, and one of our different uh, seasoned uh, Christian ladies. I'm actually real excited about it, and, and in here, uh, which will be on our live stream, um, you know, we'll have one of our men teaching that, and uh, I, I'm real excited for what's going on. I mean, you look around and say, well, there's nobody here. Uh, listen, I remember 16 years ago when we started, we'd have been real happy to have 30 people sitting in here. Uh, I mean, we were, well, first off, we weren't in here. I mean, secondly, we were sitting on metal chairs in a smoke-infested uh, union hall. Uh, and, and so uh, I'm glad you're here. We probably, uh, you know, if you counted all the BBC people and children at all these sites, uh, I mean, it's probably a, a super well-attended Wednesday for us. Uh, when I spoke uh, last on a Wednesday a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about always rejoicing in the Lord. And we were reminded that a Christian uh, can always rejoice in the Lord regardless of how difficult the circumstances are that we're facing, no matter how real the pain is that we feel. Uh, we can always rejoice in Christ. Christ is always faithful. Heaven is always real. There is always a blessed hope that Jesus Christ might return today. And we also talked about, in light of the fact that Christ's return is at hand, we were exhorted to let our moderation be known unto all men. We remember how we contrasted that with the things that Christ specifically teaches us to keep private. He wants our giving private. He wants our fasting private. He wants our prayers private. But when it comes to our moderation, he says, make that public. And we learn and come to understand uh, what that meant at that time. Now, Paul is about to give the Philippian believers and us uh, some advice about having the peace of God in our life. Uh, understand this, there's something clearly wrong when Christian people are as much or more worried and troubled about what's going on in our world than the world is worried about what's going on in our world. Now I get it, the, the world has no spiritual understanding. They have uh, no real knowledge of their Creator. They have, they're biblically ignorant. I, I, I get that. Uh, I know. But there's something wrong when believing people are more troubled and anxious than the people in the world are. We're missing something. 
that our Father in heaven intended to give us. Let me ask you tonight, as we begin our thought, would people who know you well, would they consider you a warrior? Are you someone who regularly struggles with being anxious or with anxiety? <laughs> now listen, uh, I don't care how much faith in Christ you have, there are still going to be times because none of us can completely ever overcome our humanity. There are always going to be times when we struggle to worry and we struggle with being anxious, but there is never a reason that those things ought to characterize our life as Christian people. Hear me tonight when I say, if you're genuinely interested in having the peace of God in your life, did you know there's a recipe for having it? If you're able to stand, stand tonight in honor of God's Word. We're in Philippians chapter 4. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. should be sitting uh, in a chair somewhere uh, ahead of you in one of those racks. Philippians, by the way, the title of my thought is Having the Peace of God. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thank you. You might be seated. Now, most Christians are aware of the commandments in the Old Testament. A lot of people are aware that the law of Moses has 613 commandments. Most famous, of course, are the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses on the Mount Sinai. Uh, but some people act as if there are no New Testament commandments given to us as Christian people living under a grace. Uh, fact of the matter is, is that you and I have been commanded to do more than love one another, though loving one another is a good place to start. Uh, we talked about this last time, but look in verse 4 is a commandment, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's a commandment for a Christian person to rejoice. We talked about this last time as well, but in verse 5, we're commanded to let our moderation be known. Uh, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now remember, moderation is our calmness, self-control, refusal to yield to extremes. Moderation is boundaries we've drawn on our behavior, what we consider to be acceptable. God says you ought to have those, and those ought to be known to the people around you. Here we are in the beginning of verse 6, we're commanded to be careful for nothing. It says be careful for nothing. We're also commanded in the end of verse 6, he says, let your requests be made known unto God. And if we do those things, notice in verse 7, if we obey these commands, God's peace will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that's what it says in verse 7, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Brings up a lot of interesting questions. You know me, I'm kind of a why sort of a person. I was a, the, always the kid, you know, mom would tell me to do something and I'm why. Because I said so, whack. Uh, yeah, but uh, I always ask why. Uh, what does it mean to be careful for nothing? That's a good question. What is the peace of God that passeth all understanding? It's just another good question. But, but I do know this much. 
having the peace of God that passeth all understanding in my heart and mind. That sounds like something that I'm interested in. Now, I know none of you ever face situations where you're just mentally and emotionally worn out. And you feel like, man, I've got so much on my mind, so many things on my heart. I've felt like that all today and part of yesterday with the things that I mentioned to you that were going on with our people. I mean, how unusual and tragic. And, you know, we have the building project going on and trying to uh, finish a certain time. It, it, it's real easy to let your mind and, and your heart get the best of you. Now, when we think about a promise like this, there are some promises that God makes that are what we would call unconditional promises. In other words, God promises something but does not place a condition on God keeping His end of the promise. Uh, For instance, He said that our salvation, if you have it, is kept by the power of God. And so our salvation is secure because God unconditionally promised that it would be secure, not because you and I meet some condition and therefore God keeps our salvation uh, secure. But most of the promises of God in the Bible are not like that. They're not unconditional promises. They are conditional promises. I would kind of like the, liken them unto for a, uh, a recipe. For, for instance, uh, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I mean, that's a recipe. That's a conditional promise. God says, if you call upon the Lord Jesus with a humble heart, I will save you. Um, the Bible says, ye shall seek me and ye shall find me when ye shall search for me with all of your hearts. That's a conditional promise. God says, hey, you get serious about finding me. You, you seek me with all your heart and I'll make sure you find me. Those are conditional promises. Uh, in other words, we do something and then God does something in response. I would liken them unto recipes. Now, now, when we cook, we mix ingredients together, certain specific ingredients and certain specific amounts. We put them together in a certain order, and in the end, if we have followed the recipe correctly, we end up with whatever it is that we were trying to cook. But I think we all understand that if we have a recipe to produce something and we say, nah, you know what, uh, I'm going to do this instead, and I'm going to do that instead, you might not get what you sought to get. Uh, If we change the ingredients or how they're mixed, we end up with something different. Uh, God's recipes are like that. God makes promises. If you do this, then He says He will do that. In fact, we just read the recipe for the quality of life for a recipe that produces a quality of life that every human being seeks. There there is not a human being anywhere who would not like to have the peace of God that passeth all understanding, keeping their heart and mind. I, I can't think of anything more in a troubling world like we live in that I would rather have. Everybody wants peace. Unfortunately, most people seek peace in the wrong places. They use the wrong recipe, so to speak. 
I mean, understand, if people had the right kind of peace of God in their heart, there wouldn't be any suicides. If people had the peace of God in their heart, listen, the bars would close. Uh, You realize, I I hope, that people drink on the weekend because the reality of life that's sober through the week is not appealing enough. (laughs) That's why people use drugs. The reality of their life, the reality of being sober is not sufficient, and so they use substances to modify their reality. If people had the peace of God in their heart, they would never do that. Which brings up this great question, what does it take? What is the recipe for having the peace of God in our life? A peace so powerful that we cannot fully comprehend it or understand it. That's what he said in verse 7. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, since the book of Philippians was a letter written by the great apostle to Christian people in the church in the city of Philippi, it is just understood that as a base, you must have Christ in your life. Listen, the Bible says there is no peace to the wicked. And by the way, even those who don't live a wicked life, but who are living without Christ in their life, they do not have the capacity for this kind of peace because this peace comes from God. What is the recipe? Now, before we get in, into the recipe of peace, I think it's probably good for us understand, to understand what the inexplicable peace of God is not. I mean, it's not world peace. We can understand that. I mean, world peace is when people lay down their weapons and they quit fighting one another. You know, I think all of us understand that, wow, you know what, that'd be a good thing. I mean, what good really ever comes out of war? It is nothing but a terrible cost against society and against human life. It's a terrible thing. Unfortunately, there will never be any world peace till Jesus Christ rules and reigns and enforces the peace with a rod of iron according to truth. But we understand that kind of peace. The kind of peace here is not uh, peace that everything's going well. Now, we've all had moments. uh, Maybe you're sitting on the beach in Florida watching the waves come in. Maybe you're sitting on your back porch on a Nice morning. They do happen on occasion in Cincinnati. And you're watching something in the backyard. It's just a peaceful moment. But we all understand those are just like their peaceful moments. That's not the peace he's talking about here. In fact, he's not even talking about peace with God. I mean, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by grace, by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about peace with God here that we get through Christ. He's talking about having the peace of God inside us. What is the recipe? A peace that would get Miss Ruth through her situation. How'd you like to get that phone call? Some of you have. How'd you like to get that phone call at the Alexander house? 
uh, your daughter is in the hospital. Her husband stabbed him, and he killed himself. How, how, how do you get through that? Uh, you, you, most people don't. How, how can you have God's peace in the darkest moments of life? Here's the first thing, number one. After getting Christ in your life, you must decide to be careful for nothing. That's the recipe. Verse 6 begins, be careful for nothing. That doesn't mean we're irresponsible. It doesn't mean you don't care about anything or anyone. It doesn't mean you flee taking responsibility. There's far too many people, both in the church and in our world, who flee taking any responsibility. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, what he's talking about is that he's talking about worry, excessive thought, being anxious. Don't let anything cause you to be worried, anxious, or give excessive thought to it. Keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus himself actually sort of introduced this idea and and when I say Matthew 6, of course, your mind immediately goes to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is exclusively teaching his disciples from a mountain. Notice what he says to them there in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. He says, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. That little phrase, take no thought, it's the same phrase as be careful for nothing. Jesus teaches his disciples, he says, hey, don't let your mind be overly occupied with the basic provisions in life. Uh, God made a plan for, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> his people to have the basic provisions provisions of life. You say, what is it? Work and manage what you earn well. Uh, you will find there are people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who either don't work but could uh, or refuse to learn how to manage their money and they will struggle with the basic provisions in life. Listen, God can't give somebody who's lazy or uh, careless with their money. He can't give them enough money. Uh, God's basic plan is that, and he says, you know what, listen, you do my basic plan and then just don't worry about it, I got you. The psalmist said, I have been young, I now am old, but I've never seen the righteous or forsaken or seed begging bread. Can I say, I, that's my, that's be my take too. I've only been a true believer now for 38 years. I've seen Christian people squander their health, squander uh, their money, and struggle to just make ends meet. And I've seen Christian people, faithful, righteous, godly people, who just basically worked as best as they were able, handled their money reasonably well, and they always had enough. 
In fact, what I would say is in the end, they had more than enough. They always had plenty. And you go back to our text. Let me ask, is your life characterized by worry? Being anxious? Excessive thoughts on things you cannot control? There's a lot to be said for mental discipline. A lot of times they, they call it compartmentalizing your, your thoughts. To be careful for nothing. Say, so what, what do you mean by compartmentalizing your thoughts? What I'm talking about is you seek God's help and you don't let your mind stay someplace it really doesn't belong. When you leave work, you leave work at work. I always felt like when I came home from work, my wife needed a husband and my children needed a dad, not an angry engineer. You compartmentalize. Uh, I will do that tonight. The Literally, the last thing I will say before I go to sleep, I will say, Lord, I can't control my thoughts when I sleep. God, I commit them to you. I pray for rest for my body, my mind, my emotions. L listen, I, I wonder how many less people would need medication to go to sleep. I wonder how many less people would need medication to fight their anxiety if they really just learned to be careful for nothing. To have the mental discipline to set things down, and you catch your mind going to, to work, and you say, no, not now. Be careful for nothing. Again, this doesn't mean you don't make thoughtful decisions. It doesn't mean you're not a thoughtful human being. It means that we put the bridle of the Holy Spirit on our mind and on our thoughts, and that's how we keep from being so worried and so anxious. In fact, in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4, and we won't talk about this in detail tonight, he, but he does talk about that. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any vir virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I I've got that little phrase underlined in my Bible. Think on these things. We must develop the mental discipline with the help of the grace of God and the Spirit of God to not let our mind dwell in places and on things it doesn't belong. It's part of the recipe. If you're here tonight and you haven't come to recognize that one of the worst enemies you have is your own mind, then you're not paying attention to <laughs> the difficulty of life, your own mind. Listen, we carry it with us everywhere. That, that's why one of Satan's most effective techniques is isolation, isolating Christian people from the church, isolating people from good friends, isolating people. He is a master at that and leaving someone to just fester on their own thoughts. And you and I have had it happen to ourselves. We could name names of people whose mind and thoughts would just made them think crazy things about what's going on. Be careful 
for nothing. Would the people who know you well describe you as a worrier? I wouldn't wear that as a badge of honor. Would they describe you as someone who is overly anxious? If you're saved, you do not have to live that way. I, I, I get it. None of us live above all worry. None of us live above all anxiety. None of us. But if that characterizes you, you're missing something you could have in Christ. And the first ingredient, of course, after you're saved, to having God's peace is to be careful for nothing. But it is not just that we need to be careful for nothing if we would have God's inexplicable peace in our heart and mind. Notice the second thing we must do. It's in verse 6. It says, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So here's the second thing. After deciding to be careful for nothing, we must choose to take everything to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Did you catch the play on words? Be careful for nothing to instead take everything to God in prayer. There's nothing that ought to be excessively on our mind, but everything is something about which we can talk to our Father. (laughs) There is a way to have nothing excessively dominate our mind, and that way is to take everything to God in prayer. No, no, he's not referring to, well, you know what, I should take a sip of water now. God can have a sip of water. That's not what he's talking about. It is the fact that because if you're a Christian, God's Spirit lives in you, Christ is with you 24-7, and it is really just talking to God like He's with you. I mean, prayer is many things. I mean, prayer is at times praising. That's not what He's talking about here. Prayer is at times confessing our sins. That's also not what He's talking about here. Prayer is... More than anything, it's really just talking to God. Um, Some of you know what it's like to be able to have a friend that you can talk to and know that, "Eh, you know what, pretty much whatever I tell them, they're going to be my friend. I hope you have that kind of relationship with your spouse. Um. But God himself is that kind of friend. The Bible says uh, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That, that is the dear Lord Jesus. And you and I can talk to him about everything. There's probably no other human being that could really take what all goes through our hearts and minds. <laughs> and if you haven't recognized the occasional darkness of your own heart and mind. You're just not being honest with yourself. God can take it. And He does want us to talk to Him. I mean, understand that when we talk to God, we're not informing Him. When we're confessing our sins, it's not like, ooh, you did that. When we ask uh, something, we have some requests, it's not like, like God didn't know we had that request. But even so, because God likes to talk to His children just like every parent likes to talk to their child, I mean, God wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to bring our requests to Him. He wants us to bring everything to Him. 
said prayer and supplication. You say, what's supplication? Supplication is requests when we have more fervor. Sometimes when we're asking for things, you know, we're just asking. Other times the people involved are closer and the situation is more dire and we have more fervor in our request. That's supplication. God says, bring everything to me. Let your request be made known. Listen, you can't ask too much of our God. Say, Brother Wally, I pray and ask for things all the time and I don't get them. By the way, that doesn't mean God didn't answer. See, we get it. We expect our children to accept no as an answer to a question. We somehow think that because we're adults, that now we all of a sudden know exactly what we ought to receive and that God somehow didn't hear our request if He doesn't give us what we asked for when in reality we have a God in heaven who understands the past and to present and the future equally well. And you and I don't know much about the past. We know nothing about the future. And we actually don't really understand that much about what's going on today. And so we trust our Father when He says no. What a great quality to get. That's the quality that's at stake in verse 7. The peace of God that passeth all understanding, that keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What is the recipe? Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And what happens when we follow that recipe? The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What a great quality. Did you know that Jesus talked about it as well? We'll close with this. Go in your Bible to John 14. John 14. Say, so Brother Wallet, do you always live with this peace of God that passeth all understanding? I-, I wish I could tell you I did. I-, I do have it a lot. But you know what? Sometimes I just let the cares of my life get the best of me. Sometimes I start carrying a mental load that doesn't belong to today. Sometimes I let my mind dwell on things that I really can't control. And when we do that, we've got to catch ourselves and cast those cares on Christ. Let our requests be made known. Talk to our Father about everything. Notice the promise Jesus made in John 14, 27, speaking to his disciples. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be be afraid. Did you see that little word? Let not your heart be troubled. You don't have to let your heart be troubled. (laughs) Christ is in your life. His peace is available to you. 
You know, I think when the apostles heard this, this really meant a lot to them when he said, my peace I give unto you. He said, why did it mean a lot? Because they'd watched him. They watched how he responded when from dawn to dusk, his schedule was filled with demands of other people. They watched him when he was wrongly hated by people of all sorts. They watched him when he was mistreated. And they saw how he lived. And so when he said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That really meant a lot to him. Let me close with a question. What would it mean to the people close to you if you said to them, my peace I give unto you? Do you know for some people they would say, no thank you. I don't want your peace. You don't seem to have any. May God help us to live with his peace in our heart and mind, because we can. Amen? If you bow your head and close your eyes and just use these moments to talk to the Lord about your life.